0: I've asked um, Steve and Darlene Nepp, uh, they are adoptive parents as well, to come up here and read for us our scripture text. So if you would stand with us together. um, They're going to be reading Psalm 139 in its entirety. And I think it's a beautiful psalm because it points to our God knowing us and forming us, kind of getting us ready, if you will, for his adoption of us. And so I've asked them if they would read a Psalm 139 for us this morning. O
1: oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. You hear me in, behind, and before
2: If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed me in my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are all your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you.
1: Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see that there is any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting.
0: Let's pray again together. God, I thank you this morning um, that you can take your word and you can uh, inspire us to love you more because we understand how well you know us. And it ought to frighten us uh, how well you know us because there are parts of us that uh, we'd rather not be known. And yet you know us and you love us anyway. And you chose us, even when we were your enemies, even when we rebelled against you, you loved us, you formed us, you created us. And today, as we believe on your son, Jesus Christ, you accept us and you adopt us as your children. I thank you for this. I pray you'd bless this time now that we're getting ready to understand your word in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. It's been fun over this month to really know how many adoptive families there are in our church. I think there's somewhere around eight or nine that have been exposed in some way or another uh, to adoption or to legal guardianship. And so it's been really neat uh, to hear their stories and understand a little bit more about where they're at. And uh, so I hope that you're blessed as you hear from them a little bit. And we're going to do some more throughout this uh, month. Every time I read Psalm 139, the psalm that Steve and Darlene just read, I'm always reminded about how intricately God knows us. And if you were following along as they were reading that psalm, you see that he knows our actions. He says, when I sit down and when I rise up, God sees that. He knows that. He knows my thoughts. And I mentioned that sometimes that's scary. I've oftentimes wondered what it'd be like if we had one of those little ticker screens across our foreheads and everyone could see our thoughts, it'd be a frightening kind of thing because so often we think things that we wouldn't dare say, but God sees all of those. He says he knows our thoughts. He knows the words are getting ready to roll off of my tongue even before I say them. He knows about my physical body. He knitted me together. He knows my lifespan, how many days I'm going to live on this earth. There's really nothing good or bad That God doesn't know about me. And yet, as Mike read this morning in the call to worship, he read these verses, it says, I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He loves us in spite of us, really. He loves us even though we have all these things going on. And this this month, we're talking about God's love through adoption. We could rightly rename this series God's Love Through the Gospel because that's what it is. And what I want to do this morning, and, and it'll carry over a little bit into next week, is I want to show you how the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, how that's illustrated in human adoption. Because every step of human adoption, you can see a piece of the gospel and how it kind of works itself out. Now, as we kind of study through this, you're going to find that some of the things that we said from last week and some of the things that we'll say next week, they kind of overlap. Some of them uh, correspond with others. I kind of think about it as we take this idea of the gospel or we take this idea of the adoption, it's like a diamond, and we kind of turn it and we're looking at it from different angles And it's brilliant, it's beautiful, but it's all the same thing. And so some of them overlap just a little bit, and and that's okay. My goal is this. As we appreciate God's adoption for us, last week, this week, and next week, as we we think about God's adoption of us, that will then spill out into week four and how we then love the fatherless once we understand this vertical, how God has loved us as orphans, then we'll look finally at the practical of how we love others the way God loved us. So we're kind of building our theology uh, so that we can then drive the practicality out this direction. So that's, that's kind of the direction that we're going to go. So, adoption and the gospel story kind of fit together in one. There's, there's at least... Eight ways that we can look at the gospel and we can see it illustrated in the story of adoption. We're, going, we're only going to have time to look at four of those this morning. Uh, we'll finish the next four uh, next week. Um, but at least eight ways that we can say, if you look at human adoption, you can see exactly how God's adoption corresponds. It's really cool. It's, it's really neat to see this. So we're going to look at the first four this morning. I mentioned to you last week that there are three books that have kind of been instrumental in how I've thought about this. We ordered those books and they're here. They're back on the adoption table this morning. If you want to look at them, if you want to check them out, you're welcome to do that. The book called Orphanology um, is the book this morning, in this morning sermon, that was kind of foundational in helping me prepare for this. So it's back there if you want to check it out and look at it. If you have your message notes, you'll see these four that we're going to look at this morning. The first one is this. Adoption involves purposeful planning. Adoption involves purposeful planning. When Greta and I began our adoption journey, uh, it started actually several years ago. We began talking about adoption, thinking about adoption, and it wasn't until about the last year, 18 months or so, um, that we really... um, push forward with it God laid it on our hearts that now is the time to start moving ahead so we started doing that And so we have been planning uh, for an adoption it started with talking with friends Uh, we we talked to an adoption uh, firm in Indianapolis they specialize in adoptions we wanted to kind of know what to expect there um We've been maintaining our minivan and knowing that we would need all that space um, if we had more children. So we've been changing the oil and keeping the brakes up and all that. Um, Greta went down in our basement and drug out the bassinet that we used for at least one or two of our children, cleaned it all up, got it all ready, sheets were all there, found some burp rags, all that. Started talking about baby names. Didn't didn't have a, hadn't been matched yet. We started talking about baby names. Couldn't really decide on any. And uh, Greta could never get on page with me. I Nebuchadnezzar. I, that's a great name. Um, Dorcas, great biblical name. Um, Greta couldn't get there. So uh, we uh, talking about baby names. Looked at financial matters. Can we afford this? How's that going to look? All this planning purposeful planning long before we were ever matched uh, with a baby. Um, It's that same kind of planning that God did when he thought about his adoption of you as his child. So I want us to look at that just a little bit. If you turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4, you'll see this laid out. In Galatians chapter 4, God was planning For your adoption. uh, For my adoption. And he tells us a little bit about it. The Apostle Paul wrote the book of Galatians. And in chapter 4, starting in verse 4, here's what he writes. He says this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now I want you to look at that first little phrase in verse four. You see it there? It says, in the fullness of time. That means that God had a divine timetable that he was operating by. We said last week that in eternity past, God began planning for our adoption. And then he planned For the world to be created. And on this world he planned oceans and dry land and he planted trees and he had birds and he had animals. And then he he created man and woman. And then from there he went on through history and he brought about uh, the orchestration of Noah and Moses and Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, on down through all the history of man. And then he brought along all the prophets that he would teach his people and he would admonish his people and he would train his people. And finally, as the New Testament kind of draws close, God allows the Roman Empire to come in and to take over. And it was that Roman Empire that brought severe oppression and brought along with it the brutal practice of crucifixion, things that God had prophesied for hundreds of years that was going to happen. He arranged for this young man named Joseph to meet this young woman named Mary. And then it says, In the fullness of time, on this divine timetable, God had done all of this planning and at just the right moment when all of the events of history were aligned just exactly how God planned them he said God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law so that he might redeem those under the law. God in his planning of adoption for you had purposeful planning that was taking place. Hundreds of years getting ready for that exact moment when one day he would hold you and he would say, here's my child. I've been planning for this. I've been waiting for this. Another verse that we could look at is the verse that we talked about a bit last week and that was in Ephesians chapter 1. And if you hold your finger in Galatians 4 and go over to Ephesians 1, you'll see this verse. You probably only have to flip about one page to get from Galatians 4 over to Ephesians 1. In Ephesians 1, verse 4, you'll find these little pearls. It says this Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons. Through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Now, when does it say that God did all of that adoption planning? It says that he did that before the foundation of the world. Before you were ever a twinkle in the eyes of your mom and dad, God had already planned for your adoption way back then. And why was he planning for it? Why did he want this so badly? Well, if you look down in Ephesians 1, if you look at verse 6, you'll see a little phrase that says, to the praise of his glorious grace. Go down a little bit further in verse 12, and it says, to the praise of his glory. A little further in verse 14, it says, to the praise of his glory. Our recognition of God's adoption for us and all of the planning that took place to bring about our adoption was meant to bring Him glory. It should cause us to say, God, you love me that much that you knew my name, you had planned for me financially, and we'll talk about that in a minute, you planned for me spiritually, you did all of this because you loved me. It ought to get us to the point where we say, if you love me that much that you did all that planning, you are an amazing God. And I love you, and I worship you. You're glorious. I sing your praises because of what you've done for me, that you had plan it that far in advance. If you know Christ, it should really cause you to fall on your face in worship because you only know Him because of His gracious plan for you. He's a great God. Just like humans do all of this planning to get ready for their adoption, God did the same thing. There was purposeful planning in His adoption for you. So adoption involves purposeful, Planning. Secondly, adoption requires the right qualifications. Not everybody is allowed to adopt children. And that's a good thing, really, because there are people out there who want to harm children, who, if they could get their hands on children, they would use children for their own gain. So there's this rigid process that adoptive parents go through in order to meet the right qualifications to, in order to adopt. When Greta and I were kind of going through this, I have no idea how many papers we had to fill out and biographies and family history and health history and signing umpteen numbers of paper. We had to go down to Washington and we had to be fingerprinted and and I was glad to find out that I don't have an FBI file. I, I didn't know, uh, but we had to check and see if we had an FBI file. Um, they asked us about our hobbies. They asked us about our interests. There was a social worker that came to our home, and and she went around and looked at our home to make sure that we were providing for the children that we already had. And ironically enough, uh, she said, Do you have a basement? And I said, Yeah, we have a basement. It's, it's wet all the time. There's nothing down there. She said... We need to go make sure there's not a meth lab down there. So she went down and looked in the basement. We had to show her records that our dog has rabies shots. It was unbelievable. All of the things that we had to go through in order to show that we were qualified, that we were ready to be able to to adopt. There was nothing that was left unturned. But it makes sense Why? Because they want to make sure that the adoption that this child they're getting ready to place in this home that it's an effective adoption, that that it's going to work, that all the pieces are there. That same concept of the right qualifications is true of our Lord and Savior. He had to meet the right qualifications in order to adopt me and you as his children. And you say, "Well, Well, what do you mean? Well, look again at Galatians 4. Flip back that page and look again at Galatians 4. And we'll see the qualifications that Jesus had to have. How it was that Jesus was uniquely qualified to be able to adopt us. Those same verses, Galatians 4, verse 4. When the fullness of time had come, watch this, God sent forth his son. Whose son was it? It was God's son. God sent forth his son. But then look at the next phrase. Born of a woman. So whose son was this? Is it God's son? Or is it the woman's son? Well, we would say it's both. In order for Jesus to be uniquely qualified to be able to adopt us, he had to be both God and man. He had to be both supernatural and natural. And so God accomplished this by taking his Holy Spirit, and, and his Holy Spirit came down upon Mary and caused her to conceive this child, Jesus Christ. Now why, why that? Why did Jesus have to be both God and man? Well, you remember that when God created man, he told him to obey. He placed him in the garden. He told him, here are the rules. Here's what you need to do to have this relationship with me. And if you break these rules, if you disobey me, if you don't follow the the love that I have for you, and you seek other gods, other idols, other motives of your heart, then you'll die. There's death. And Adam and Eve did that. They they sought the own motives of their own heart and they, they ate the fruit and so God said, now man has to die because of this sin of Adam and Eve. There's, there's only one way that humans can ever stand in the presence of God and not immediately be killed and that is if they lived a perfect life problem then is if we went around this room and we asked the question none of us in this room would be able to stand before God and live because every single one of us have both inherited the sinful nature of Adam and we've committed sin on our own and so if God were to appear and we would stand before him in that sinful state immediately we would die smoten as we say in the old testament language according to God's plan it's going to have to take a man who obeys God perfectly so that he can stand before God and live. And so he sends his spirit. He, uh, With Mary, they conceived this child, Jesus Christ. And Jesus lives not only as God and God's son, but he lives as a man. And Jesus lives perfectly. He does those things that you and I can't do. He, he obeyed God perfectly. And this God-man, Jesus Christ, then went to the cross He took your sin and mine on his shoulders and he died for it. He died for it. So that today, when we repent of our sins and we believe in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that we are placed in Christ. So that when you and I stand before God someday, we don't stand as mere humans. We stand before God enveloped in Jesus Christ. And so God sees the perfect son, Jesus Christ. And then he says, come. Because Jesus was perfect. We're in him. Jesus alone was uniquely qualified to adopt us because only Jesus could live as a man perfectly and only Jesus could take the infinite wrath of God because indeed he was God. It was only Jesus who was qualified to adopt us. Human parents go through rigid requirements to adopt human children. Jesus went through righteous requirements to adopt spiritual children. He did it perfectly. That's the gospel message. So adoption not only involves purposeful planning, but adoption requires the right qualifications. And our Lord, our Savior, was the only one who was qualified for that. The third thing uh, that I want you to see this morning is that adoption is very costly. If you adopt a child today, um, adoptions cost anywhere between 15 and 40,000 dollars, roughly, depending on medical costs, depending on legal costs, depending on travel especially if you uh, adopt internationally and you're taking off time from work. Adoptions are very, very costly. It takes a significant amount of financial resources just to make it happen. But listen, as costly as human adoption is, the cost to God for your adoption was infinitely more. Why? Because God gave up his only son God gave up his own family so that he could adopt you. In Galatians chapter 3, it says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Christ, God gave Christ to do that, which we could not do. The price to God was his own son. And one of the things I oftentimes think about, for those of you that are parents, how many of us would be willing to, to let our child die to save somebody else and not only save somebody else but that somebody else that we're saving happens to be our enemy happens to be somebody who rebels against us happens to be somebody who hates us happens to be somebody who lives his life totally oblivious to us would you be willing to give your child to die for that person that's what God did Why? Because he loved us. Because he loved you. He cared for you. The price of adoption is very, very costly for God. Jesus hung on a tree for who? Children of wrath. That's what Ephesians 2 says. You and I. That's who he died for. And we sing this old hymn. I love this hymn. It goes like this. It says, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. You know the song? Jesus paid it all. Jesus died for you and I. Very, very costly for God. Makes me very, very thankful. One of the things that we are doing at Providence, I'm very excited about. We're, We're rolling it out this morning, so you guys get to hear about it for the very first time. One of the practical ways that we as Providence want to be able to help families who are considering adoptions is that um, we have set up an adoption fund in our church. We want to be able to help families to overcome that, that burden of the financial uh, obstacles that come, sometimes stand there. And so um, we had a, an anonymous member who donated a, a substantial amount of money to set up an adoption fund in the name of Providence, it's held by a group called Abba Funds. And what they will do then for a family that wants to adopt, um, they will they will they go through some criteria that our elders have set up, and we say here's here's the kinds of families that we think are qualified to adopt, and they will give an interest-free loan uh, to families that are qualified to adopt. And then over time, that money gets paid back in the fund for the next person who wants to adopt. And so I'm really excited about that. I think that's just one way that we're, we can demonstrate our commitment uh, to loving the fatherless. And so for those of you who might be interested in that, who want to know more, um, out there on the table this morning, um, there's some information about that. There's a website there. I think there's even some applications there for somebody who might want to take some and look into that. Um, Adoption's costly. God was willing to give His own Son, and so we want to be willing to give at least some of our resources to help those families who want to adopt on a human level. So we're excited about that. So adoption involves purposeful planning. Kind of get uh, plan for that. Adoption requires the right qualifications. Our Lord and our Savior was uniquely qualified for that. Um, and adoption is costly. God gave his own son a great cost to himself to adopt us. And the last thing that I want us to look at this morning or to consider is this. Adoption saves children from some terrible situations. From some terrible situations. There are children uh, in this world that have no parents, that had these children um, and have placed them in orphanage. There are other children that become orphans because they suffered tremendous physical abuse or sexual abuse in their homes. And so they were removed there. There are children that are orphans because of the effects of drugs and alcohol in family situations. Um, There are children who at very, very young ages run away from home and become orphans in the eyes of society to escape uh, some of the uh, terrible things that are happening in their homes. And I want to just read a couple of these things I found this week that just blew my mind when it came to uh, some of the children and, and some of the things that, that happen. According to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, that's here in the United States, as many as 2.8 million children run away from home every year. Many of those to escape terrible situations that they find themselves in. And they become orphans on the street. But listen to this. Within 48 hours of hitting the streets, one-third of those children are lured or recruited into the underground world of prostitution or pornography. One-third, 2.8 million children, within 48 hours are being exploited and used then by other people for financial gain. That same agency, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, in 2009 alone viewed over 10.5 million pornographic pictures of children who, for whatever reason, abandoned, orphaned, ran away from home, The average age of entry for children victimized by the sex industry is 12 years old. That's in the United States. Across the world, it can be even worse. Orphans, by the mere fact that they have no parents to guide them, are uniquely susceptible to abuse by other people. No one to care for them? No no benefits whatsoever. Russell Moore, one of the guys who wrote the book Adopted for Life, talks about um, the most eerie thing about entering orphanages in the country of Russia. He said when he entered the orphanage there in Russia, he said the most eerie thing was the deafening silence. Babies everywhere, but completely silent. And he said this, He said he was told that if babies are ignored long enough, they eventually quit crying because they come to understand that their cries will get them nothing. These are infants. Without minimizing the terrible experiences of orphans, I want to remind you that you were in a far worse state spiritually. God rescued you from terrible circumstances. You were dead in your sins. You were following Satan. You were full of disobedience. You were depraved. You were by nature the object of God's wrath. And when he adopted you, he pulled you out of those terrible circumstances, and he called you his own, and he blessed you. There's this verse in Ephesians chapter 2, and it starts off with these words. But God, I love those words, but God made you alive with Christ. He pulled you out of your hopeless situation and he said, you are now my child and I am going to bless you with every spiritual blessing you can imagine. I'm gonna prepare for you a place in heaven and one day you'll get there and you'll live together with all of God's other children worshiping him forever that he saved you when you were a spiritual orphan. When you had nothing to offer him, he offered you everything through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. I hope you never get over that fact. That when you were hopeless, without God, under his judgment, God came to you in his mercy and he chose you to be part of his family, to take you under his wing and make you his own. I hope as we go through and we look at how the gospel is illustrated by human adoption, I hope that this just gives you a glimpse into how strikingly similar the two are and why Paul would choose to use the words adoption whenever he talks about your adoption into God's family. My goal is not to convince you that you must adopt on a human level in order to be obedient to God. That would be misleading. But my goal is this. God did command us to have a heart for the fatherless. That's gonna look different ways and we'll talk about that in in a few weeks. But God did command us. He said, in light of my adoption for you, God says, I have a special place in my heart for orphans, I have a special place in my heart for the fatherless. And so as we begin to think about adoption, as we begin to think about how the gospel overlays this concept of adoption, my goal is that you would have this great and wonderful and full picture of your adoption as a spiritual child of God, and that would lead you to say, God, if that's your heart toward me, then how do you want my heart to respond out here? That's my goal. And I pray that God would be glorified as we do that. Let me pray for us this morning. God, I can't thank you enough for your adoption of me as your spiritual child. God, I lived a worthless life for many, many years. My life was so self-centered, self-indulged looking out for my own interests God I, I professed to know you but my heart was far far from you and yet in eternity past you had planned for your son to come in the fullness of time to meet the qualifications of adoption to pay the price on the cross to rescue me From my terrible and helpless state of being, and to call me to be your child. Father, for that I give you glory, and for that I praise you, and for I thank you that you changed my life, and it's incredibly different than what it was back then. It's not perfect. But God, I thank you that you've changed my heart. And every heart of every person in this room that believes in you, you've you've changed our hearts so that we no longer live for self, but we live for him who died and rose again on our behalf. We live for Jesus Christ. Father, I pray as we consider our adoption as your children, that we would begin to have this little glimpse into your heart for the fatherless, and that we would begin to think of ways that we could exercise that kind of love toward others on a physical level, and on a spiritual level. Father, I commit all these things into your hands and pray you'd bless them. In Jesus' name, amen.